Hi, and welcome to the Calm Age Rebels podcast. I'm Trudy Lewis. I'm Jenny Field. And I'm Advita Patel. So this week is Mental Health Awareness Week, and we are always talking about how we look after ourselves productivity, boundaries, the fact that this week alone we've said that we're juggling so many balls we feel like we're in a ball pit and I just thought it might be an opportunity to use our news section just to chat a bit about the week, maybe what we've been doing, if anything different, anything that we do that helps us look after our mental health like it looks after our physical health and just thought it was worth a quick chat on it. and also checking in on how we're all feeling. Love this topic, I have to admit you know mental health has been something that I have been involved in for a number of my a, a number of years because I used to work in a mental health trust as part of my one of my first jobs as an internal communications manager. So it's a very natural instinct for me about mental health because I've been surrounded by, I suppose, the outcomes of what happens when you don't look after it. You know, walking around those mental health wards and seeing people who have struggled with their mental health and not having the appropriate support and feeling they can't connect with others and seeing that the impact it's had on their behaviours and what's happened to them is, is really something that's been ingrained in my head for, for many, many years. And I suppose a part of that is because I did experience something quite early on in my career. So I've been quite, I'd like to think I'm quite good at looking after my mental health, though, like many other people who may be listening today, I have struggled with it. You know, I've struggled with self-belief I struggled with anxiety I struggled with panic attacks you know I struggled with imposter syndrome which is an element of that to an extent you know and there's various bits of periods in my life I should say that I really questioned who I am what I'm about and and had blips of of depression I would say and not diagnosed depression but you know those kind of symptoms of not wanting to get out of bed in the morning not feeling like you're adding any value to anybody's life feeling like you have got you've got nothing to contribute but what the difference is I suppose with trying to get out of that turmoil is the community that I surround myself with Mm. and that has definitely helped me see the light I suppose and this is why I'm so passionate about building empowered communities because they make a difference and if I didn't have both of you in my life and other you know family and friends to kind of keep me sane on the days (laughs) I need it and this week (laughs) This week has definitely been testing. Uh, it just makes it, it makes a difference. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I I think one of the things I'm grateful for around the whole mental health space is the fact that we've started to talk about it. We've made it more open. It's more likely that you are able to say, even at work, that you're having challenges and people not ostracize you or label you as weird and strange so I'm I'm really grateful for that and I think more and more we need to reach the point where we can talk about things openly and and just embrace the fact that this is you know just like any other illness this is a part of our lives and especially in the times that we're in at the moment it's even more so I've I've spoken to friends who have been really challenged during this time who have found that they are having mental health issues when they never, ever had any. Uh, I can say for myself, I've had my own level of that and dealing with anxiety right now. But, you know, it's, 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 it's just interesting that we are now able to address it, talk about it and so on. And I think that's one of the healthiest things that we can be doing. And the more that we make it visible, the more that we make it known what people are going through and have that forum that we can share about it share ideas 
sheer weight. I, I mean, I've never seen so many social media posts about how to get over anxiety or how to get over <laughs> stress. And it's been brilliant. I really, I really love that. So um, like, like both of you, I think community is really, really important. Uh, but I also am thinking or knowing that it's really important that we we actually talk about it more. Mm. One of the things I've been chatting about a bit this week is uh, people having breaks mm. over the last kind of year and and maybe not having holiday or time off because there's nothing to do and nowhere to go and we're sort of bit conditioned that might be wasteful of, of precious holiday days that we've got but there's definitely something I think about identifying whether there's people around you in your team or at work or at home wherever it might be who are showing those signs of kind of needing a break. And I think sometimes you do have to kind of force people to take a bit of a break. And there's some of the conversations I've been having around, I think I think we need to tell that person that they just need to go and have some time off because I don't know about you guys, I just feel like I have not stopped. <laughs> you know, even though we had Christmas and we had a bit of a break, I don't think I have stopped. And because we moved house in January, there was also all of the stuff that goes in with living in chaos of boxes and are we moving, are we not, are we moving, are we not? And then you do. And even though you've got time off, it's spent, you know, lugging boxes around and, and doing stuff. So I've got some time off in June and I can't wait to just, you know, stop a little bit. And, and I know that I need to do that for my mental health. I know that if I don't kind of force myself to stop, I could carry on because I love what I do. So being able just to carry on and almost doesn't feel like work it's just a bit of a risk I think and I do I do hope people are going to take breaks because I'm I'm not sure people have taken as many breaks as we should have done in the last year no the break thing's really a problem in that you know even how we're working at the moment is back to back so mm. no, there's no escapism is there like for the last year like I am definitely one I miss my holidays. That is one thing that I do work for, the fact that I can go on nice holidays and take some time away. And I've been privileged enough to visit some really great locations. And normally I'd have three, four, five holidays in a year. And, you know, I've not been anywhere apart from that jaunt we had, you know, last year in, in for a week, week somewhere. But it really does make a difference. And you really have to push yourself. And I am definitely like, you know, what you just said there, Jenny, where when you love what you do, when you're, um, you know, and it's, it doesn't feel like work, I suppose, because we're look, I suppose, lucky that we work in a profession that we all love. You forget to draw that line, draw that line in that sand and go, enough is enough. I need to mm. take time away. I need to go for my walk. I need to step away from my computer. I need to switch off my mobiles. I need to just have those few hours to myself. And I am, I like I said at right, right at the start of this conversation, I thought I am pretty good at signs I have when I'm struggling with my mental health. So I know when I need to take that step back. But there have been, you know, shaky situations in the last 18 months where I've been like on the edge, like trapezing, I feel like at times. <laughs> and I know Jenny's had to come in and say, take a step back, yeah. switch off, take a step back, and you know, go and go and take some time for yourself. And you do need someone to remind you of that. You know, and I will not forego my, you know, where I can. I meet, you know, those, some people may know her, Bridget Hearn. So Bridget and I only live down the road from each other. So we meet now on a weekly basis and go for a walk in the park. And that hour of the day, even if it's only once a week, really kind of refreshes our minds and gets us kind of energised about the next thing. And we'll we'll go on, we'll have our little chats, right, throughout the day on WhatsApp and take a break from our our work. And I'll go and have a look how my office extension is going at the back. Because I can't wait, because we purposely created a space in my 
office, as I'm calling it, in the middle where it's like a lounge area. So I can get away from my desk and sit and watch and, and step away from, you know, yeah. situations. And this week, if anything, has taught me that I need to take care of myself a little bit more and, and step away from situations that's causing me extreme rage. Yeah. Uh, as it has, as it can do. <laughs> and I think it's so easy though, isn't it? And I, it, the one thing I've identified about myself in the last year is that I can just kind of keep going. And I know that at times of not stress, I suppose, but if there's like, if there's lots of stuff going on, so I'd say in times of crisis, I'm a highly functional human being. <laughs> so when there's things around me where people, where things are kind of starting to fall apart or people need me, I kind of go into like super overdrive, organized mode. And that's to my own detriment because I put myself further down the sort of priority order because I want to look after and and help those around me. And last year it reached an absolute tipping point where I, I, and then I just go like, I'm just, I can't, I just, I can't, I can't do anymore. <laughs> but one of the things I did last year, which I loved was this YouTube channel called The Silent Watcher, which I've said so many times to people. And my husband and I did this from Friday night to Sunday afternoon. And we had The Silent Watcher on our screen, which was, and we chose the ocean view. So it's just a video loop really of the ocean. And it's like, you're looking out of a window and we had just some classical music on and I was reading books and I think we got takeaways. I remember him saying to me on the Saturday, I've checked the room service and it's, uh, it's Chinese. Tonight. <laughs> um, and it was it was that just stopping and seeing the ocean from my lounge, which I know sounds ridiculous, but it honestly, I was like a new person the next day. And I think that's because I reached that point last year of I'm just I'm I ah, was kind of how I felt. <laughs> I've I've found ways to help with that, and I, and I cannot recommend the whole visualization ocean thing enough as the the thing that really helped me kind of reset over a weekend. Yeah, so I you know I I think there's the fact that many of us or most of us feel as if say we need to be super super people. You know, we yeah. need to always be on. I certainly have that personality generally. <laughs> And in the past year and a half, I've realized that I've had to stop that. And in contrast, find it harder to make plans to go outside if I don't have a purpose to go outside. So I literally have to make a, an effort to do that because I know that by doing that, I'm, I'm managing my mental health. So it's, it's really, really important that we look at the cues that we all have that are pushing us to that edge. And yes, get people on board who are going to prompt us to tell us to stop. But also, you know, you know, when you're reaching that point, you know, when you're reaching the point where, do you know what, if I go one more step, if I think about yeah. one more thing, I'm going to explode. And, and it's then saying, right, I'm, I'm doing something about this. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to look at the ocean. You know, I'm going to do something that distracts me because actually that's one of the things that they say combats anxiety, the whole thing of create a distraction for yourself. Yeah. And that actually takes your mind away from what's what, what, you, what you're anxious about. For me, you know, one of the big things, there's, there's lots of different techniques I use to kind of help me get back in control. So I tell people, you know, anxiety is a big, big issue for me at times. And sometimes I have to take, and I say, I've said this too, haven't, haven't you, haven't I Trudy about the slice of cake and just taking that one piece of cake and, I love that Deal, dealing with that one piece slice rather than dealing with it because a psychologist friend once told me that if you try and eat a whole cake you're going to feel sick right you're going to throw up and you're going to feel sick but if you take a slither at a time then you can achieve what you need to achieve and that's the way I kind of try and look at 
the big things that are really causing me to be anxious. So I will, there'll be days where I'll take the hour by hour. So what am I doing for the next hour? What am I doing yes. for the hour after that? What am I doing after that? And that really helps me because I don't need to think too far ahead. You know, I'm all for planning and being, you know, looking forward and all that. But some days you just need to be like, yeah. get out of bed, brush your teeth, have a shower. Like, yeah. just do that for the next hour. Then put your clothes on, put your makeup on, get downstairs. And it works. Those kind of things work. And Calm App is another one that I use, you know, if I'm really struggling with sleep because I I am a, um, I struggle with insomnia. I don't sleep very well. So Calm App helps me. And that's me. It's because it's I my brain works at 100 miles per hour and my brain comes alive at night. So I need to really contain that. And then doing the 54321 technique. So if you're feeling anxious, then look for five things around you that you can name, then look at four things that you can smell. Then, you know, you Google it, it'll be on there. We'll put it in our show notes as well. So if anybody needs to, wants to use that as a, as a framework, then feel free to do that. Yeah. And just to mention that journaling is a huge, huge benefit to all of us just journaling what's happening with your with your day with your life choose to do it every single day especially if you're struggling with some things it's really good to get it out there get 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 it out on paper what's happening or or even record it so if you know if you need to do it that way that's a another way of journaling but I think I'd highly recommend it we could talk about this as a whole episode as we're going I'm thinking coffee's running out of time but there's some lovely bits of advice there and I do think you know, I just hope everybody is, you know, looking after themselves, you know, ask for support if you need it, ask for help. You know, no one is alone. And I think that's one of the biggest things to to be aware of. Yeah. We hope that you enjoy the episode this week. It's all about change communication. And don't forget to let us know any feedback or thoughts across any of our socials. If you want to find out more about how you can work with us, you can visit our website, which is calmedgedrebels.com. Here you can find out more about each of us individually, and it will also give you links to our own websites, which are colinear.co for Trudy, commsrebel.com for Advita, and Redefining Comms for me, Jenny. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at calmedgedrebels, and you can also follow us individually on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So if you do want to work with us around communications, consulting, coaching or workshops, please do get in touch. And today we're talking about change and all of us as a group, we've all worked with change programs in in organizations that are going through change. And one of the things that's consistent is that the majority of them don't actually work. So there is still a statistic in place that says 70% of change programs do fail. And I just thought it'd be really interesting for us to explore some of the issues and challenges, some of the reasons why it's not successful, and also some of the attitudes that would prevent it from happening in the context of the fact that right now, we're in a very changing environment. I think like never before, we're seeing change programs and scenarios where things are changing for organizations constantly. And so it's something that we're going to have to live with. It's something that we have to know how to manage and how to deliver successfully. So I just thought I'd just throw it out to you guys. Uh, What do you reckon? I could drag my soapbox over this one. Oh, yes, (laughs) please do. Please do. So I think it fails because I don't think we're very good at defining change. And I have a real bee in my bonnet about it. And I I write about it in my book where I talk about change and chaos because I think we get stuck in this sort of constant change thing, which just cannot 
be sustainable and cannot really be what change is. Change is going from one thing to another. Right? If you're changing, you know, a culture or you're changing technology, whatever it is, you're going from one thing to another thing and then it becomes business as usual. But we get stuck in this kind of constant change thing, which drives me, drives me bonkers because I don't understand how that could be a sustainable model for anybody to be in that amount of change because therefore you're in a constant state of ambiguity therefore in constant states of anxiousness and therein lies the problem of stress and well-being in the workplace and there I have solved all the problems in all the land (laughs) (laughs) podcast is now finished (laughs) (laughs) okay we are now at the end of the podcast (laughs) I'm only joking (laughs) (laughs) but that's that's kind of yeah that I I can it gets me really ranty as you can tell because I think and I think that's why it fails I don't think we are very good at defining it and defining the end of it and defining the success yeah I know what you mean the 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 definition of it is also for me tied into the outcome that you wanted so it's kind of what are we trying to achieve have a very clear objective and that perhaps is part of the problem so what do you reckon Advita change you know what one thing about change is that it's, it's it is a constant right it's just the world that we live in is a constant and I think the other thing about change is that because it is a constant we believe that we have to keep doing it to prove <laughs> to prove that it's a constant <laughs> yeah it's I've a self-fulfilling prophecy it's, it's <laughs> a, it really is but what I've discovered as well is that people don't allow things to work properly before they move on to the next thing it's like here you go here's what we're doing okay oh that's not worked because we've only given it 3.4 seconds uh, and and now we need to move on something else and, and to fix that that 3.4 second problem that we had. I think what leaders in particular fail to understand in my experience is that people move at different pace with change. And we've all seen the Culber Ross change curve, you know, and we all kind of know this. And even though we all know this, we still expect people to move at the same pace. And when people don't move at the same pace, or even people don't accept the change because they don't have to accept it, you know, they're of their their own human being. Like if they don't want to be on board with it, then they don't want to be on board with it. And as communicate, if you know, if we're talking about communicators, I suppose part of our role is to work with the project team or the change team to try and understand what we can do to persuade the individuals and work with them collaboratively to understand what this change means to them. We just don't do enough of that. We don't do the whole, what's in it for me? You know, why are we making this change? What are the outcomes? that we are expecting to see change once we implement this new process of working or new tech, or even if it's not that, like Jenny said, if it's culture, why? Like, what's the purpose? We don't, we're just so hung up on this whole ever-changing world that we just stop reflecting upon it. We, we, we feel like we all have to just keep talking about it like it's going out of fashion. And I just don't see, I've, I'm yet to see once again, a change program that's been done 100% perfectly. Like, you know, there's so many models and theories out there. People, it's like people get bored once they get like mm. 60, 70% way in and they're like, oh, I'm a bit bored now. So we've, we've kind of done the kind of sexy things. Let's just move on and do something else. And, and I think that's why it, they fail, honestly. Well, it's that thing of studying change for the sake of it. So you keep coming up with these models. We look at all these different ways of handling change and then let's practice them and play with them and all the rest of it. While in the meantime, the actual strategy of the organization, the actual challenge of the organization is that they are struggling through these changes and these different formulas 
to achieve change and yet still we still don't see it being delivered and you know you made a really interesting point Advita about the fact that as communicators this is you know this is where we help but where but I think communications is fundamental to this in that you have to define for people what you're what's changing and why it's changing and even at that point when you are able to to define why is when people begin to think actually I don't like it but I understand why we're doing this and so I can actually live with it so those little nuggets for me would be little things that kind of drive it towards achievement rather than you just do this kind of sweeping thing we're going to have these changes in place oh and by the time that it hasn't worked out we're going to switch it and change something else again and you haven't defined it for the individuals you haven't kind of explained it to them they don't know what's what they're going through and why yeah but that takes time and that's the thing I think people forget like if I think about the amount of digital transformation I've done inside organizations some you know better than others but if I think about when I you know, did quite a significant change in an organisation where there was a, a basically a file library and, and that was it. And, and we put in a subscription-based uh, internet, essentially. And it was a huge change for people. It was, you know, people could suddenly comment on news, people could comment on other people's, you know, news and work. And it was a real shift culturally. So I would say 80% of my time was spent going and talking to the teams that this was going to impact because it was going to be so different. It was showing them what it was going to look like. It was answering the questions. It was kind of being with them all the time. And and that is a bit relentless, but it is also the best place to invest your time when you're going through change is that constant need of reassurance for people so that they know what's coming and what's happening. But I think we tend to focus more on spending the budget on the technology, for example, not the time to go and actually take people on that journey. And that's why I think they fail. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, I think the volume of change programs I've been in, that's exactly what it's been. A slight rush. You know, we have to get this delivered. Now, I do understand that time is money. So there is a reason why sometimes we have to move things along quite quickly. But that starting point bit, the the kind of insight bit, the bit that kind of delves into some of the the whys and the the objectives and the the discovery even rather than just the actual looking at the, the actual technology which i think is a bit is is a bit clearer that bit's so fundamental and so many companies don't you know so many times they don't spend the time to do it and when you do say do you know what, i want to take a bit of time and investigate what this what this problem is and how yeah. we can fix it, then you're told, well, we don't have time to build that into the program or, you know, there's no, you've got to hurry if you've only got like a week <laughs> to look but, at something. And that's exactly why, for, you know, when I created the field model, which is understand, diagnose and fix, is because you have to fix the root cause of the issue because if yeah. you don't, you're just treating the symptoms. And you're right because people will say, we don't really have the time. And I will sometimes go into an organization and I'll talk to the leadership team and and they'll say, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we'll be fine. We know kind of what we need to do and we'll do, you know, I'll always mention a couple of quick fixes you can do that are a short-term fix that will add towards the long-term. But nearly everyone who isn't ready is two years and then they'll come back and it's really, you know, something really bad's going on now and now we really need to get underneath this and sort it out. 
because you've just done lots of little quick fixes to try and address something and you haven't really looked at what's going on underneath. Whereas actually that time and investment in looking a bit deeper will save you so much time Mm. and money in the long term because you haven't got to deal with all of the repercussions of not doing stuff properly. But I I do think Advita's point is so spot on about the fact that people do change, don't let it settle and then look to change it again. That's the thing that I think is bonkers because you yeah. you know you have to let things settle if you're constantly you know and I have got clients who are constantly you know being innovative and we're going to do this it's going to be great it's going to be great and you're like well just you know or calm down a bit and let's see <laughs> how this goes and then you know we can look at whether or not we need it yeah yeah we live in a culture of immediacy though don't we if we don't see immediate results about something then we just think it hasn't worked and then we move on and then we're like oh it hasn't worked it hasn't worked and the, and that's the thing with change you know and that's what really frustrates me when I work on all my kind of I suppose internal comms careers I've I've worked career uh, careers not that many. <laughs> <laughs> I've always worked on a change there's always been a change program of some sort change programs as well because there's always several going on at any any point in time and there's, and there's two or three factors I've seen. First is that the immediacy, that if they don't see immediate results, they're like, it hasn't worked, let's get something else in. Let's Or people are just not getting bought in, so we're just going to force it upon them. You know, they, they don't want to have that patience to, to speak to people. The second thing I've noticed is that they don't have the right people having those conversations around that table. That they'll bring in project managers amazing it's you know you do need that structure you you need project managers who get the kind of all of that but you also need to supplement those project managers with people in the operation who actually know what's going on Mm -hmm. who understand the business who recognize some of the issues that we as corporate you know sitting in corporate or coming in externally as consultants or whatever may not know what's going on especially if you're working in, in an organization where you do work in a an operational function where you have people on the front line they every single day they will see things and then you know all of a sudden this project team expensive project team often comes in starts putting all these prints to philosophies and <laughs> you know agile working and all those kind of terminologies that when you're sitting in a room and they're putting all these acronyms in front of you you're a bit like what is happening and then tell you how you should be doing the job that you've been doing for the last in many cases mm-hmm. 10 15 yep. 20 years so then you're kind of like uh who are you to tell me what to do so then you resist it then you walk away and then they're looking at comms which are often comms comes in about 20 million months later to kind of go something's gone wrong here we're not quite sure why people are not listening to what we're trying to tell them it's because you've 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 told them you haven't engaged them you haven't you haven't said to your leaders right we need x y and z around the table with us who are your influencers who are the people in the operation they need to be part of our project team if we're going to make this change work who are these individuals who are these people who know the business inside out and who are the ones who are actually going to contribute Mm. and let's get them in this conversation and let's start from there we can do the the kind of technical stuff around projects you know the scrum and all that kind of stuff to talk about these are the people who are going to give us the answers whether it's going to work or not and yeah. then the comms obviously is the umbrella, right? This is yeah. what we're here to kind of yeah. support you. That for me is such a basic thing. And I sit in a room and I'm like, why have we not brought in, like, all right, I'm here, comms, because I kind of muscled my way in. But where's everybody else like who should be contributing to this conversation? And the excuses that I've heard over my kind of career in, in, in working on change programs are just like ridiculous. Like, oh, they're not interested. Oh, it's top secret. I hate that as well. Top secret. <laughs> no. We've signed. We've signed an NDA. 
oh my goodness, who cares? <laughs> like, I understand if it's commercially sensitive, then obviously you need to be a bit cautious. But if it's like bringing in a new tech, then let's talk about it, people. Let's get people excited about it. Let's let's get people's opinions on board about things like this. And all this kind of secret squirrel, who knows what, they don't know this, that ruins, in my view, the change process completely. The thing that drives me most bonkers in terms of change programmes is when there are processes inside organisations that don't work and that, you know, maybe a consultant's come in and put in a new process for doing something. And I, I've, I've gone into organisations as a consultant and they're like, this is our this is our process and it's all on the wall and it's, you know, it's really pretty. And uh, this is what we do. And I go, it's lovely. Does, it, does anyone follow it? No, they don't follow it. And it drives us all nuts. And I was like, okay, well, as pretty as this is, maybe we need to have a look at putting in a process that actually works, like how involved yeah. are the people here in doing the process, to your point. And they're like, well, you know, they all had, you know, the opportunity to contribute. But nobody's following the process. So we can have this conversation till we're blue in the face about the fact that nobody's following the process. So therefore, we need to do something to make people follow the process. And that's the project. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to look at the process because yeah. people will follow something if it helps them do their job. But if you're just yeah. doing things for the sake of it, it's not going to help them. And that's that comes back to what we were saying about you've got, for me, you've got to change the right things. It's easy to say in that we've got to change the people. But you don't. You've got to change the process. And I think that's also where we get stuck is we try and change the wrong things, Mm. thinking they will solve the problems when actually they won't. And maybe that's why 70% fail, because we're changing the wrong things. Not only do we not know what change is, I've got on a right soapbox today, but we're also (laughs) changing the wrong things. I, you know what? It's so funny because that's exactly what I was thinking. So I was involved in a change in a culture change program, and you know, it was a bit like an overnight, you know, change it now. This is the rush, the mad rush to get it all done. And as you're going through, you know, one of the things that struck me was there's no way any of this is going to change the culture overnight. This is a very gradual thing. You know, it's going to take ages, you know, when culture in itself is quite difficult anyway. So to, to be able to change that within an organization that's been around forever, it's going to take time. So it was so interesting that when it didn't quite work out, they switched and did something else. And I thought to myself, well, clearly culture change was not what you really wanted to achieve. You wanted to achieve something else, which is not culture. Not to say that what they did was not going to help culture a little bit, but saying as a blanket statement, we want to do culture change was not the real objective, was not the real goal. The goal was really something totally different. And you're absolutely right, Jenny. It's it's who's going to take the time to sit down and figure out that question. So what should we really be changing? If we want to achieve this, what should we be changing? What should that look like? Yeah. And how are we going to engage the people? Because I think the engagement and the comsy bit should be the very first thing that we talk about because you're dealing with people you're not you know the technology or you know the process is just that but people have to have to work with it so if we're not starting with people then we are going to run into a problem it's not going to be easy it's always going to most of the time it will fail because people will resist but you're not just it's not just the people bit is it I mean if I'm, I'm trying to think of all the conversations I've had over the years where we're doing change 
and it's it's egos it's hierarchy it's historic relationships it's it's all of those things that contribute to it being so challenging I mean I've again sat in rooms trying to change processes of you know if you're making a widget how does it get from here to here okay well I can see already in that you know here to here where that's not going to quite work because you've got some little blockers along that route but in doing that you're you're having to deal with so much legacy and we've always done it this way and I'm more senior than you and therefore this is how we do it all you know we are dealing with people and that's the essence of it but it's it's so much complexity in there that to the point of the time that we don't give it you're not allowing for all of those little complexities and individual nuances to go on and if you're doing that in an organization of even just a hundred people you've got all those individual egos power hierarchy legacy all of that coming in together I just I think it's way more complex than people probably give it credit for and I was talking recently about the skills of change managers and whether or not change managers have the right skills in order to deal with organizational change as it is today and whether or not having the scrum master and some of those things are going to be the right skills whether you need different skills and therefore then what is a change manager there's lots of questions now in my head really (laughs) I do think that you know you're right Jenny it is about it's about egos I know it really is I'm really sorry if anyone is going through you know you're kind of thinking like smashing the change but there will be some sort of ego that's kind of stopping the pure purpose behind the change and and it does make me laugh when people go I want to change the culture of my organization like culture change is really important which it really Mm. is I get it but you can't just be like click your fingers and culture changes overnight you just it's culture for crying out loud this is yeah. it's something that has been embedded for, for generations if not you know decades in some cases and it is driven by behavior like you can't just put fancy posters up and send out newsletters and do a magazine article and then change the tech a little bit it's how are people behaving if you want that culture to change then how are those behaviors being demonstrated from the leadership team like if they want the culture in the business to change then how are they behaving behind what they want that culture to look like and you can't just in my opinion I personally don't think you could just be like you know new CEO comes in and goes I want to change the culture of this organization I think it's a collaborative effort and everybody needs to play ball for you to change the culture and everybody has to be on point with it and they need to be able to articulate what this new world of this new culture looks like and why they it's so important for it to change you know so if you've got a very hierarchical culture which is telling command and you know that you're not going to attract the right people because you've got that kind of culture then you need to take a step back and go right what is driving this telling command culture it's, it's obviously going to be leaders how can we work with this leadership team to get them to understand that we need to move more into collaborative and creative innovative way of working and everyone is you know equal in this organization that takes all of us know by the research it takes two three four years yeah yeah to kind of get to that point not three months yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the budget thing is another ridiculous thing you know like give a realistic budget like we all know when we sit on a and they're like oh it's this and we all know like it's no way you cannot deliver this change program on this tiny minuscule budget because you know when it when you run out of money and you go cap in hand, you're a bit like, well, why did you not say at the beginning that this budget is not enough? And you, it's that realistic expectation from the pro- mm. from change managers, in my view, who have to say, realistically, there's no way we can deliver this change program and have the impact you wanted to have on this budget. And it's having that honest conversation. And I just 
I do believe that some of the conversations that are being held in organisations, for whatever reasons, egos, money, time, resources, are not being had. And that's why 70% of change programmes fail, because people are not being authentic and honest Mm -hmm. with each other right at the start. You said something just then at Vita about articulating what the change was about and from a leadership perspective from top down. And I think there's a real interesting thought that I had around the fact that a lot of people that work close to leadership and for the rest of the organization don't even understand the strategy, don't even understand where the values came from, you know, don't understand some of these fundamental things about the organization it's highly likely they're not going to understand what what a change program is going to be about because it just the time wasn't taken to speak to them, engage with them. Or even maybe from the leadership perspective, they haven't taken the time to figure out what, what that articulation should be. You know, what should we be saying about this change? So there is kind of this massive step back to let's go back to the why, let's go back to the what's it going to change let's and 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 kind of why why does it fit at this particular time what budget should we have so loads of questions as you'd be asking themselves before they embark on it because it's not just about the shiny tool that they're going to deliver at the end of the day people get really hurt wound up mm. jobs whatever else happens through change so it's it's pretty important to to kind of have that clear picture at the very beginning and I think the different the different phases of change are really important. I mean, you just said then about, you know, people being upset. And I remember doing a change to an email provider and people crying uh, and, you know, sort of buying sort of chocolates to try and cheer people up. It's like <laughs> just an email provider. And I, I knew it was going to be a really emotional thing. But, you know, if you put on lunch and learns and people don't turn up and then they get annoyed that they don't know, I kind of feel like it's your own doing because <laughs> you should have come <laughs> to the lunch and learn. However, but I think it is... It is so important to think about the fact that you've got these people and and they're going to get emotional and you've got to give them the time to kind of be okay with that. There's so many different bits to the change that we don't, we don't pull all in together. And like you said, Avita, it takes like, you know, three to five years and people are thinking, oh, just spend a couple of grand and we'll do it in three months. And you know, we'll just change how everything happens, and you just can't do it like that. No, you can't. I mean, you can if you put the if you put the budget in and put the resources in, and you get all. You know, you really do spend effort. Cultural change. I just think you are kidding yourselves if you think you can change the culture within three months to six months. You you're kidding yourself, really. Unless you're having an absolute like everybody out and brand new people in, which is you know, it's rare when things like that happen. I'm thinking now of the, the one of the biggest change programs I worked on that almost tipped me over the edge was a car parking change where we had to move. <laughs> I, know, I know this, I know this story. <laughs> oh, we had to move 11,000 people from a car park right next door to where they worked to a car park, which was a bus ride away. Oh, the emotion, the emotions involved in this. And we didn't have long, right? Because I kept getting told, Every single day, there's a delay. It's going to cost the project a million pounds. Every single day, there's a delay. It's going to cost the project a million pounds. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's the stress on that. But so we had to, you know, budget budget was a bit of an issue, but we had to be very creative. And we worked on 
collaboration, telling them the right story, what's in it for them, brought them in on the conversation, spoke to their leadership teams. The, the challenge we also had was that not everybody worked for the organization, right? So then we had to go the extra step and make sure that people still had a way of communicating back with us when they, when they if they had a problem. But you know what the, the, the success of that change program was is that we knew there would be challenges along the way and we put things in place to address it. So we knew that this change program wasn't going to be 100% hunky-dory. We knew it because just because of the time, resources and budget. But what we did do was put in contingencies and put things in place to address those issues where we knew the failure was, fail was going to happen. Our, our purpose was everybody needs to leave that car park by this day. Otherwise, we're going to lose a million pounds a day and we can't build this amazing new building that we need to build. And everyone needs to buy into this. So we did, you know, we did funky things that I've spoken about before, as you know, like virtual reality and having those conversations and bringing the story to them and storytelling and then what's in it for me. And it took time, it took energy, it took effort, it took, it was exhaustion beyond belief, but we were realistic and we were very honest with the conversations that we're having with people. We did not say, yes, we can do that. We were like, no, we cannot do that. If you want, if you want gold, then we need an extra four months. You're going to get bronze here. And if you want, you're going to get bronze and it's not going to be perfect, (laughs) but we're going to get people out. And that's the main thing, right? And that's, you just got to be realistic with the whole thing. But that car parking project is one of the learning points where I recognize how good change can be and how bad change can be. Yeah. And and, and, and in the middle. And how, and how emotional people are. Like I've just remembered a a change thing I did where we, where we moved the entrance into our into the building so that people were no longer walking through reception and they had to walk in through the side because people were being sweary walking through reception and there were often visitors waiting so we were like we'll just change it to the side entrance and within like 10 minutes there was a Facebook group of you know we hate the new tradesman's entrance at X company <laughs> and I was like good lord like you know, I had to go around and get that closed down and sort of, and then go and have a conversation to find out what's going on and because to us, it was just like a simple, right, you just use that door now, not this door. Yeah. But the outrage was phenomenal. And I think that's the, it's the emotion side of it. Like you said, that it's just such a big part. But I guess, oh, you know, yeah. tips and tricks time, probably, Trudy. For- yeah, pretty much. I just can't get away from that building the story from the very beginning. You know, have a look at why you really want to have this change and what the change is. That is so fundamental I know people don't have time to do it you know you've got business cases and all sorts of things like that and I know that most make an attempt at doing it but it's actually kind of getting it together and making sure that that drives the whole change program rather than you do it park it put it away hide it and then you just kind of focus on the technology or or the other aspects that you are changing and the other thing for me is is the heavy engagement piece, you know, take people with you. That's like, again, so, so important. And not just take people with with you at the point where you say, okay, we just need to tell them that this is changing. That's not taking them with you. Taking them with you talks to them about the point at which you've started that process when you thought about it to begin with and why you thought about it, what you were thinking was going to happen next and so on and so on and so on. And, and if you take people through that journey, it's just like we talk about the change curve, but there are different things that you say to people at various points of that curve mm-hmm. if we're going to follow that model. And it's really understanding that, that that beginning bit 
is really important, not just for the leadership team, not just for the, the people who are working on the change program, but it is really, really important for those people going through the change and for those people who you claim will need to be using something different or doing things a different way. That can't be said enough. And I, I just think that openness about how you approach it will make a big difference. I agree. And on the on the, the Culber Ross change curve, I use that in, in the work that I do. And I always sit down with leaders and go, where do you think your people are right now when we're, when we're talking about change? And I want you to mark them in for me. And it's really important in, to have that conversation with that leadership person or, or the team manager, because they need to understand where their people are. They need to have that time to understand, actually, I can't do a blanket approach in and some people are going to need, like you said, Jenny, at this, you know, people are emotional. Like, you know, people are crying on the phone to me when we move them to a different car park. Mm. So it's, it's, it's the case of like, where are your people right now on this change curve? What, what does it mean for them? And what cons do we need to address it? So what, what I would say to people listening is find the model that works for you. And there are, like we said, you know, field model, Get Jenny's book. That's, yeah. that's a great one. A little, a little, uh, little pitch there for her book. But you know, use things like the field model. There's a Cotter's model. There's Colwell Ross change curve. You know, familiarize yourself with these change practices if you're not, because there are things out there to help you. And you'll see that if you follow the process in a, in a way, then it will help you kind of have those conversations with those change project managers who can be very computer says no right so you need to be able to talk their language basically to to get that point across again you need to be realistic and that's been my theme throughout this conversation is be honest be realistic with what's what's achievable in the time frames that you have and what isn't achievable and don't be afraid to say when you don't think that they're doing the proper engagement with their colleagues so as communicators or as business people whatever your role is if you believe that they're not doing the proper comms and they're not having the proper conversations with the workforce, then say, don't just think it and think, oh, well, well, we'll try and fix it towards the end a little bit or we'll send a poster out or I'll get my comms team to write an article in the magazine, you know, we'll do a front cover, it'll be okay. That isn't going to, it just isn't going to work. So be honest and be like, right, if we want, like Trudy said, if you want to bring people along with you on the journey, then it's a two-way collaborative effort. And from the minuscule changes from, you know, what we believe is minuscule is, you know, changing one door to another door or massive changes in merger and acquisition. There's human emotion involved in every step of this way. So make sure you understand what, what those are and, and make yeah. sure your leaders are bought in as well on that. I think mine would be the timepiece, which we've talked about quite a lot in this episode, but making sure that you've got the, enough time and that people are realistic around how much time it takes. And also where your time is spent so in terms of that you know make sure that you're investing more time on the people and taking them with you but making sure that you've got time to do that so you know if you're doing something that is around technology that you've got the time not just in terms of designing the new architecture or the content or whatever it might be but you've kind of got the people time the other thing for me is there are you know various different models around change but there's also the going through the change and then kind of the bit after that and even if I think about change just as a you know as a person and you know losing weight whatever that might be you go through that right I'm going to lose some weight and then I need to maintain and they are kind of different they're different kind of phases and and they all require a change in in lifestyle probably forevermore as a you know non-work example 
And that's kind of the thing for me with work is you'll go through a change if you're doing, you know, culture, technology, and then things are different forevermore, you know, and then what does that look like? And how do you then help people do that? I remember being told years ago when I did a new internet that it was like, great, the project's done now, let's move you on to something else. And it was like, well, no, that's not, that's not, that's not really how it works. I don't just walk away from this now. Like I've got to curate the content, manage it, you know, do all the things that you do with an internet. So there's all of, there's the different phases to, to the change that I don't think we educate our leaders about enough in terms of the ongoing change that exists mm. as a result of that one that's then the new business as usual. It's not constant change, but it's, this is now different and this is now going to require some additional support. So they would be my things just to think about, not just the end of the project, but sort of what happens next. Yeah, yeah no, that's totally, brilliant. Yeah. I think it's so important to look at it in a more holistic way or, or you know, broader sense. That's the only yeah. way you're going to get kind of a success or achieve it or whatever, you yeah. know. And watch out for those egos because there'll be a lot of those to contend of course. with on any on any change project. Actually, this well, is my change. technology. This is my door. This is my building. This is my car park. <laughs> change is really hard, and change, as we've all just said, is really really emotional. And unless we kind of come down to the point where this is what this is what it really is then it's really hard to fix it. I think we're going to get lots of paranoid leaders listening to this <laughs> Thinking, are they talking about my change programme? I think oh. people, I know, my, I've spoken very openly about my, I have to say, because I know the project director listens to our podcast. So Brad, if you're listening, it was an amazing project. You were a great leader and we did a good job. So I promise you, I'm not- Nicely I'm, done, I'm not, nicely I'm done. Not all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we love you really. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Please do remember to rate us or leave us a review on Apple. And if you have any ideas about future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks.